We're continuing in a series in Leviticus. We come this morning to Leviticus chapter 19. And we'll be reading verses 19 through 37. Leviticus chapter 19 will be our sermon text. We will read that text first, and then we will turn to our New Testament complementary passage and read that second. So if you would open your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 19, in honor of God's word, please stand. Leviticus chapter 19, beginning in verse 19, hear God's word. You shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed, nor shall you wear a garment of cloth made of two kinds of material. If a man lies sexually with a woman who is a slave assigned to another man and is not yet ransomed or given her freedom, a distinction shall be made. They shall not be put to death because she was not free. But he shall bring his compensation to the Lord to the entrance of the tent of meeting, a ram for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering before the Lord for his sin that he has committed. And he shall be forgiven for the sin that he has committed. When you come into the land and plant any kind of tree for food, then you shall regard its fruits as forbidden. Three years it shall be forbidden to you. It must not be eaten. And in the fourth year all its fruits shall be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year, you may eat of its fruit to increase its yield for you. I am the Lord, your God. You shall not eat any flesh with the blood in it. You shall not interpret omens or tell fortunes. You shall not round off the hair on your temples or mar the edges of your beard. You shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. I am the Lord. Do not profane your daughter by making her a prostitute, lest the land fall into prostitution and the land become full of depravity. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Do not turn to mediums or wizards. Do not seek them out and so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man and you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. And you shall love him as yourself, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You shall do no wrong in judgment, in measures of length or weight or quantity. You shall have just balances, just weights, a just ephah, and a just end. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and you shall observe all my statutes and all my rules and do them. I am the Lord. Thus far in the reading of God's word, please turn to Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17, and continuing in the reading of God's word. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. 
But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. As far in the reading of God's word, let us pray. Father, as we have read... We now ask that you would open our eyes, that we may behold our Savior, the path of life, and walk joyfully in it. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. So in 1886, two French painters whose names I will not try to butcher invented a new form of Impressionism. Critics referred to that new art form as pointillism. And pointillism is a technique in which the entire picture is comprised of a bunch of little contrasting dots of color. And so you have to step back from the picture and it's it's sort of a, it's a, it's an experience. To view, to, to view art that is done in the pointillist style. But creating a picture with these contrasting colors, I think is a helpful way for us to see the scene that is in front of us today. If you look at verse 19, and then you look again at verse 37, you see that this passage is bracketed by you shall keep my statutes and rules. So clearly, this is all one big passage. There's there's an opening and an ending to it. As we read that, did it strike you, wow, this seems like a bunch of just random stuff. Don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this. I think if we look at this as a scene, and a scene that is done verbally in the pointillist style, you will see alternations back and forth between you shall and you shall not. And so those are our two contrasting colors. These positive commands and then the negative prohibitions. Those are our contrasting colors that are going to paint the scene for us from our passage. And then, thirdly, 
we will see the new life. So the positive, you shall. We begin with verse 19, you shall keep all my statutes. Now clearly what we have here in the next few verses are not all of God's statutes. God's statutes have been coming for a long, long time and they're going to continue for a long, long time. What we have here is a sample of these statutes. But if you look at all of the you shalls in this passage, here's how they fall out. You shall keep all my statutes. You shall practice public repentance for sin. You shall receive atonement for sin. You shall do all of your labor in the sight of God, and that's specifically coming from the fruit tree issue. You shall keep my Sabbaths in my sanctuary. You shall honor your elders, and you shall practice just treatment of the immigrant. And you shall have honest weights and measures. So there we go. Eight things that all come out of this passage, these eight things that God wants his covenant people to practice, to follow after. Now, if you have read this passage, or if you've encountered it maybe for the first time just now, there might be some things in this passage that you go, that's like so completely out of our context. What could I possibly get from this? I mean, that, that whole thing there in, in verses 20 through 22, just, that does not sound like any context in which any of us are ever, hopefully ever, going to find ourselves in. And frankly, I mean, the whole thing of you shouldn't mix two different types of garments uh, or two different types of cloth in one garment. A lot of the things in here just don't seem relevant, and in fact, they seem a little bit offensive. But let's take a moment to encounter this in the way that God intended you and me. God intended his children to encounter this for the next 3,500 years. People coming to this text. God wrote this word for humanity. He wrote it for all time. It is not to be added to. It is not to be taken away from. It is aimed at the original audience. But beloved, it is kept preserved. And it is still powerful. It is still sharper than a two-edged sword. And it applies to a lot of people who have never grown a fruit tree in their life. And never will. And how does it apply? Because what God expects you and me to do is meditate on it. So before you look at his word and go, that's ugly, that's dumb, that's old-fashioned, I want you to think about the type of person 
that would do such a thing. The heart of a type of person that would use another human being. The heart that drives these various actions. The motivation behind these various actions. Because, beloved, God is always going after your heart. Now, you may have found a verse in there that you may have heard in passing in the past if you've run in a certain group of Christians. And that is, you shall not tattoo yourself. Now, I can say that I do not have any tattoos. And I can say I'm glad I don't have any tattoos. The only reason is because when I was young and getting tattoos, I would have gotten really stupid and embarrassing tattoos, and I'd really be embarrassed about them today. (laughs) Thankfully, I am not the same idiot I was when I was 20. God does redeem. He does, he does capture and turn around. The point is not whether you shave your beard a certain way. The point is not do you have polyester with some cotton. The point is not do you mix a donkey and a horse and create a mule. The point is where's your heart? In the first, that section of you shalls, we see there should be no division. You are all in. If I'm raising donkeys, I'm raising donkeys. There's a unity here. If I'm growing wheat, I'm growing wheat. If I'm wearing a cotton shirt, I'm wearing a cotton shirt. There's a a unity and a commitment that God wants from His people. A unity that comes from the heart. An integrity, a fidelity that comes from the heart. This interesting thing of the trees. Look at it down at verses uh, 23 to 25. Now, I don't want to go all weird and origin on you. But, I do think that you can see here just the subtlest brushstroke of the grand master artist's design. For three years, that tree is barren. On the fourth year, it yields fruit entirely given to God. And from there on, the abundance of its fruit feeds the nation. Do you see it? Do you see that in that scene? Three days. It's as if Jesus says, no sign will be given to them except the sign of Jonah. Three days. Three years of barrenness and death. And then a grand deliverance of all the first fruits to the house of God. And then, the feeding of the nation after. What a beautiful scene. What a beautiful scene that is. What a glorious 
noble thing we are called to be. And then we got all these shall nots. The second section of the things that you and I shall not do. And in that section, intermixed animals, fields, clothing, I think if I was going to make any heart application of that story, of that horrible situation, it would be holding a victim to the same standard as the perpetrator. Recognizing that there is victims, that, that there, is, there are people who are not equally culpable because of their status. And I'm not going to spin that out into any grand narrative for culture or society or anything else. But I will say that it is a principle that is given to us in the reverse. That to whom much is given, much is required. And there is a principle here that the one who bears the greater iniquity is the one with the greater responsibility. But this negative includes everything from how we eat, you shall not eat any flesh with the blood in it, all the way down to how we deal with our children. That last horrible negative. The, the ways in which we can abuse the stranger in our midst. The ways in which there's injustice and not equal treatment in the way that we treat one another. All these things pile up on this negative side to create a really ugly, nasty view of what humanity is capable of. If you just read through all those shall nots in those verses, you see a portrait of humanity, beloved, that is dark. All these things that you should not do to other people. All these things that are vicious and cruel, that show a divided heart, that show a worship both of God and of the culture. All these things that show that you and I are not exclusively given to God. In looking at this beautiful image of what the nation of Israel could be, these people that keep all of his statutes, that care for one another. We've seen in other passages that leave the borders of their field for, for the poor to come and eat from. For the, for the people who repeatedly it said, you will have the same law for the strangers you do for yourselves. Now remember, Israel is set up to own land in Israel. You had to be an Israelite. The land belonged to God and it was passed down through the families. 
And yet, so you had these people that were just naturally made to be exploited, in a sense. People who were there who couldn't actually own land, who couldn't sink roots down into the community, they were easy pickings in many ways, and yet God repeatedly says, you will love them, you will treat them fairly, there will be one law. What a beacon and what a light this would have been to the nations. And God says here in this passage, in verse 34, you'll treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. When I went through the reading of the law, I said, the message of the gospel is you and I have disobeyed God. We've disobeyed his statutes. And and please, go home this afternoon and meditate on this passage. The shalls and the shall nots. Look Look at the heart that drives this. And ask yourself, am I pure and spotless in this regard? Do I truly say everything I do is done to God? Do I truly give myself full integrity to Him? Heart, mind, actions, everything. Just from the first verse, you and I are in trouble. Just from the very first verse on this thing. We're in a mess. And the gospel message is that if you come, if you come to him, he will in no wise cast you out. He will take your death upon himself and give you his life. And if you knew that, If Israel knew that. Again, look at the reasoning behind verse 34. You are to love the stranger as yourself. Why? Because you were a slave in Egypt. Do you see the gospel there? You cannot look down on another person if you recognize that you're nothing but a redeemed slave. How can you and I judge another? How can you and I be evil and harsh and biting and cruel to those who are the closest to us? How can you and I be this way and still have the attitude of, I'm united to Christ. I'm his child. Now, this is where we go to our third point. I don't want you to totally leave Leviticus behind, because we're going to come back to an interesting verse
But this is what Paul takes up in Ephesians 4. In Ephesians 4, Paul does the exact same contrast. All of the vile over against all of the beauty. All of the glory. And Paul says, put off this and put on this. Now I find it telling of the human heart that didn't Moses already say that right there in Leviticus? Didn't God through Moses just say, hey, stop being horrible. Don't be horrible. And now Paul has to come along (laughs) and go, newsflash, stop being horrible. Because, beloved, it's the constant thread of our fallen existence. It's that leprosy again. It passes generation to generation to generation. It is a corruption that comes from within. And it consumes and defines our very lives. But even, beloved, as there is healing for the leper in Leviticus, there is healing for the spiritual leper. Now, in the other scenes that we've that we've looked at recently, if you've been with us a while, over the past several weeks, we've looked at these these previous scenes in Leviticus, and we've looked at some beautiful garden scenes, some beautiful scenes of the peace that God has with his people. And we've noticed that in the middle of this scene of peace, there's like a, a serpent of venom that enters right in the middle and just poisons the whole mess. Well, here in this, there's another beautiful Thing. It's a total flip, though. Because here in the midst of these two portraits, one of humanity at its worst, and the other, humanity or God's people. Well, yeah, let's, let's be, because Jesus, God is speaking to the people of Israel, you shall, you shall not. All right, rephrase One is God's people at their very, very worst. And the other is God's people at their most noble. God's people at their most beautiful and attractive. Those are the two between the you shall nots and the you shalls. Look at verse 30. You shall remember my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. Now, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 20, 21, Paul says, That is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Both of those verses show us something really cool. Because this is not merely, this is not merely don't do this, do this. But right there in the middle of it, here's what nastiness looks like, here's what nobility looks like, 
And right there in the middle of it is the means of grace that God gives to you and to me. The way that you and I can grow. The way that you and I can make this our pattern. Can grow in this practice. And it's the regular means of grace. Think about for 3,500 years, where have the vast majority of people encountered Leviticus chapter 19? In the sanctuary. On the Sabbaths. For 3,500 years, God's people have been encouraged again and again and again. Here it is. This is the place, this is the day for the nourishing and growing, for the renewing of the mind of Christ. And so when Paul's contrast in Ephesians, if you look at verse 25 and following, Paul's contrast in Ephesians is just as ugly, just as grotesque as the contrast in Leviticus. All those shall nots in Leviticus are some nasty things to do to other people. Right? The things that Paul says that you and I are to put away. Lying, bitterness, stealing, anger, vile words that hurt and cut. That's a pretty dark picture of what you and I are. That's an ugly, ugly picture. And then he gives an equally beautiful picture. But instead, truth, reconciliation, giving to one another, and mercy. This holy war of Leviticus 19, this holy war of the child of God, nourished by God's word, encouraged by God's people, revealed to us in his word, Beloved, for you and me is even stronger, richer, and more powerful. Because that ongoing renewal of the mind that Paul calls us to, the same one that Moses is calling the children of Israel to in Leviticus 19, that ongoing renewal of the mind, Paul adds another dimension to it, doesn't he? If you look at the very last verse of Ephesians chapter 4. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Beloved, this struggle, this struggle between the most noble that you and I can be and the most horrible 
that you and I can be is a struggle that the child of God knows. Because even if you don't live it out, you think it. Your thought life and my thought life, if it were flashed on a screen, each one of us would run out of this room in shame. There's not a one of us here. That's a picture of what Christ bore on the cross. He didn't go to the cross, beloved, in order to be some example for you. He went to the cross to take all that nasty. Leviticus 19, verses 19 to 37 is just a slice of it. You know why it's just a slice? Because God's word was always intended to be come back to again and again and again in a repetitive manner. And so we're just looking at a different facet each and every time. Next week's going to be wild. If you've got (laughs) headlines in your Bible, you can look at it and see. And yet, beloved, all the nasty, all the gross that you and I are capable of, is what Jesus Christ bore on the cross. Beloved, if I could get you that picture in your head, if I could get you that picture in your head, every time, think of Zechariah when Joshua the high priest is standing there. Satan is there to accuse. Even there in pictures, in pictures we still see that there is one who is going to bring healing. There is one who is going to reconcile. There is one in whom you and I can look Satan in the eye and say, the Lord rebuke you. I am a brand plucked from the fire. And I am clothed in a clean turban and a clean robe. And yes, I look at my turban and I look at my robe and I see a lot of soil. I see a lot of gross. But I know that God has declared that I am forgiven. That's Paul's message. Even as God in Christ has forgiven you. That's what he carried on the cross. That's what he took. And beloved, that's what the means of grace is for you and me. Morsels of nourishment, encouragement, maybe conviction, maybe rebuke. But above all, a picture of Christ. An encouragement that this is the way. Walk you in it. It's not an easy way. It's a way of death. To be identified with Christ is to be identified with brokenness. Being despised. It's also 
to be identified with one who is reigning and before whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And beloved, your choice and my choice is you can confess it now or you can confess it later. (laughs) But beloved, I can tell you if you confess it now, the life he gives you is beautiful and living and glorious. Let us pray. Almighty God, even as we see the pictures painted in words, the pictures of the bread, the pictures of the wine. Lord, let those pictures reflect in our hearts that we may become a picture of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.